Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards Red Sox Hot Stove edition of the podcast. We've got, uh, it's mostly going to be a starting pitching heavy show tonight. The Blake Snell market has somewhat become clearer, not so much as teams that are vying for him, but we know what he's looking for in terms of a contract. We'll get into it. I don't think he's going to get anywhere near what he's asking for. Uh, we're going to discuss Mike Clevenger and a uh, little bit of Trevor Bauer. And uh, and then in the final segment, we are going to talk about Stroman signing with the Yankees and what that team looks like going forward uh, compared to the previous season. So tons to get into. Micah Storms, Nick Face with me tonight. How are you, gentlemen? I'm doing well. I just got a notification on my phone like 10 minutes ago that I have already a two-hour delay tomorrow. So like two-hour delays and snow days, like as a teacher, I mean, I just live for them. So um, right now there's there's snow all over the roads. We're only supposed to get like two or three inches, but in Pennsylvania, two or three inches like is an automatic snow day just because we don't have the the plow systems in place to to handle those so i'm i'm good but i'm just fed up with this off season <laughs> but overall doing well i was gonna say i mean we could add another hour to the show then but i would need antidepressants yeah. <laughs> to get through uh talking about this team for that yeah long. i just don't know what you what do you talk about for that long like I just, it's, it's just we, need, we would need a lot of alcohol we would need a lot of happiness somehow unless like we want to get us like, through this you put in like the 2018 world series film and we watch it it's like good. simultaneously and we just reminisce like i could do that you yeah. know, but I just don't think there's anything important from almost any team. There's just really nothing. And I just there's still some big names out there. And I just can't believe that we're, you know, January 15th and nothing. You know, it's funny you say 2018 World Series and I I'm glad we won it, obviously, but it's my least favorite of all of them. And I think it's because of David Price. The fact that I just had to watch him. You know, every, what, fourth or fifth game. And then, thank goodness they gave the World Series MVP to Steve Pierce. Because I, I could never listen. I, I couldn't have David Price World Series MVP as a part of Red Sox history. Like, it would just kill me. But, Nick, how you been? I was going to say, too, it's, isn't, it, isn't it amazing, guys, that 2018 was six years ago? Mm -hmm. I, that, that, that's just absurd absurd to me that it's going to be that long since 2018 it's it doesn't feel like it's been that long but yeah it'll be six years this upcoming october of when they won that world series sometimes though it feels really long like the the seasons yeah. that red Sox fans have had to endure over you know those six years or well i guess it's five and it's going on six just some of them have been painful um, but I guess that's kind of been the, the story of the Red Sox over the last 20 years. It's like either really good and really bad. And there's very few in between seasons. Well, guys, you guys are pretty new at this comparatively to some other guys on the crew. Wait till you do this for a few more years. 
<laughs> every season is a lifetime. That that's just it's just how it is. It's its own grind, and I I feel like I've been doing this for like twelve years, but this will be. Let's see. I'm going to do the math out loud. 17, 18, 19, 20, 1, 2, 3. This is my eighth season, the start of my eighth season. So it's like so long ago. Um, Yeah. So it's and the crazy thing is, is we've only been good for like a year and a half of it. Uh, Other than that, whatever you want to call 2021, where we had this downward slide from like late July, just barely get in. And then we got hot for a week and a half. And uh, yeah, and it's too bad. I, I just tweeted out today. I'm like, how how bad did going to the ALCS set us back? Like in terms of the narrative, because I feel like us getting there with that junk roster we had, that junk pitching staff, it gave ownership like a sense of validation that that could be a successful way to do it. And I think it also gave some of the players some validation too. I mean, look at Kike. I mean, I know he was hurt and everything like that, but I mean, he came back the next season and he was hurt. Number one, it was just God awful. Yeah. That's just one classic example of it. That That's a great point. I mean, Kike was a very streaky player throughout his tenure, but he was hot that October. One of the hotter ones, Alex yeah. Verdugo had some some high spots as well, and I, I think Kyle Schwarber hit a couple of uh, key home runs. But but man, I just feel like it's if if we didn't make the postseason that year, I think we'd be having a much different conversation right now about twenty twenty four. I think too, it almost gave ownership like a a little bit of like a grace period, even though it really shouldn't have, because they can say we, we were in the ALCS two years ago and it just, it feels like a lifetime ago, but like they can say that, you know, how many teams can say in the last three seasons, their team was one in the playoffs and two, you know, in the championship series, there's only a handful of teams and the Red Sox are actually one of them that can say that. And I felt like they're like, well, Hey, we were there just a little bit ago. Now we've had a little bit of a down, you know, slide, but I do think it really, it really messed up the expectations because it should have been, they put more chips forward because they were so close to the world series and they actually did the opposite, which just doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I I wasn't going to give this take on this show, but I was, uh, you know, it kind of crossed my mind over the weekend and I was doing my walk through the park today and I saw a guy with a Red Sox hat on, so not going to miss an opportunity to promote the podcast. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the Sox a little bit, and he expressed frustration with, with ownership. And to me, what it, what it really feels like, I mean, we're trying to process and make sense of everything every day, but what it seems to me is that those first four championships were won because winning was fun to ownership. It was an adventure. It was excitement. It's kind of like Steve Cohen going to New York. He's obsessed with winning a championship like that. That's like the ultimate thrill for him. But now that our ownership group has experienced that, you know, four times now, I don't think it's about passion anymore. It's about business. 
You know, they've already experienced that high. Now they want to, now they want to treat it more like a business. And I think that's why we're getting what we've gotten over the past few years. It's just winning kind of got old. And I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast or perhaps I told you guys in private. Um, I spoke with an ex Red Sox player on Twitter via DM. And I, I just asked him, I said, and this was the previous season, probably sometime around July. I asked him, how often is John Henry in the owner's box? We knew Bloom was in there every game. And John Henry used to be in there every game uh, during the Dombrowski era and, you know, years before that even. And he goes, eh, not, not, not a lot, not as much. So that kind of, in a way, kind of validates my, my point about them just not enjoying it as much. And they've added, you know, multiple teams to their portfolio and, and all that. But I just, I don't know. I just think they, they look at it a lot differently now. I think it's a lot based on, you know, that whole phrase, actions, actions speak louder than words. And what we can go off of as fans from those actions is that John Henry has just completely disappeared from the Red Sox. He's either senile or doesn't care. He looks at this as just a strictly numbers game where it's printing money, easy money for him. And he doesn't really have to care that much anymore about it because people can come right to the museum. People will go to his museum at Fenway Park no matter what it is because it's a historical ballpark and they want to come and see it there. So in a way to him right now, I'm sure it's looking like, why am I going to go spend a hundred, hundred million, 200, $300 million on players when fans are still going to come to Fenway park to relive history, see this wonderful museum we have and give him all the money in the world and fill his pockets. Basically. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Micah, before we get back on the tracks? Yeah. No, I, I just, I, I think you, you said, you said it on a previous um, episode, Terry, that the only way that you can really voice your frustration with what the direction of this team is for there to be an empty Fenway park. And that kind of sucks as a Red Sox fan. Cause like you never want to see the ballpark empty, but that is the only message that Red Sox fans can truly send is that we're not paying these ridiculous prices for, you know, subpar product on the field. And we're not buying this overpriced food. We're just, we're not doing it because you're not investing and we notice it. You know, and there's, there's these people on Twitter basically saying, you know, they're not defending ownership, but they're like, shame on us for having that angle for rooting for empty stadiums and, and all that. And I'm like, eventually you have to get sick of losing, you know, it's, uh, I'm naturally an anti-establishment person. It's just who I am. And I, I hate that. I'm like that sometimes, but uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And I, I don't, I don't care if ownership gets punished here. You know, uh, here's another thing too. Not every team owns their stadium, but the Red Sox do not every team owns the network, the sports network that broadcasts their games and generate all that revenue every time a commercial comes on. 
but the Red Sox do. You know, so they they've got tons of resources and uh, all right, let's talk about pitching. All right, uh, let's get into Blake Snell. So his market kind of been quiet. It, it has been noisier than Jordan Montgomery's, though, just so we know where things are at. So apparently Boris throughout the, the winter has wanted a nine-year, $270 million deal for Snell. That's what he's asking for. So $30 million a year for nine years. Snell, I believe, is 31 years old. And the Yankees were interested in him, and they were asking. Uh, Snell had come down, or I should say maybe Boris had come down to 240. So that presumably would be over eight years, $30 million a year for, for eight years. And... The Yankees were at 140. They're like, that's what we think his market is. And and I think that's fair. I think that's about what it what it should be. And then so the Yankees pivoted, and we're gonna get into this. They did end up signing Marcus Stroman for, you know, two years, 38 million. And so that's another major suitor, not you know, not in the market anymore for Blake Snell, and presumably not for Jordan Montgomery either at this point. So I'll start with Micah. So where are you at with what's happening with Snell? Like what path does he have forward as a free agent? Well, he has one of the, the most proven, the most proven um, agent in major league baseball, but you could argue probably all of sports just because of the amount of clients he has, um, been able to get a massive deal for so he's got that going for him I, I just don't know with the fact that he has, he just doesn't throw a lot of innings and he hasn't had a track record I don't know how you can request an eight-year deal I just there are so many red flags with him and I'm not saying he's not worth a five or six-year deal but an eight-year deal you know, you, we've talked about it before on previous episodes. You look at the, the highest paid pitchers, and that list is ugly. And if I told you Blake Snell is on that list as one of the highest paid pitchers in the game, I don't think anybody would be shocked if in two or three years he's either constantly injured or has declined rapidly because there are, you know, if he doesn't have – if his stuff comes back just a little bit and he can't strike hitters out at an absurd rate, I think it was like over 12 or 13 per nine or something like that. Just ridiculous for a starting pitcher. Um, if he can't do that and the walks are still a problem and now he starts to get hit, all of a sudden his ERA is going to jump and it's just going to be a problem and you're going to be stuck with a guy for four or five years. Like, kind of like a sale-like contract even if you get a good year or two out of him initially. And I just, I, he doesn't, his body type doesn't scream a guy who's going to be able to be durable over the course of a seven or eight year deal. Um, I, I, I just, the, he's talented and it, it's weird to talk about a two time Cy Young award winner this way. Um, I'd be curious if, if any two time Cy Young award winner has ever been talked to like this in free agency. 
I mean, Max Scherzer at the age of 39, you know, got a $43 million deal, but Blake Snell at 30 can't get, you know, a crazy deal. It just, it's kind of wild, but you know, it's just the profile is not one that I'd be willing to go anywhere more than what the Yankees went. I think what the Yankees offered is absolutely legitimate. And I think that's probably more where pitchers should fall for the most part, like five years, $30 million, uh, you know, a year. Okay. But when you go further than that, like they just, they just break too easily and it's nothing against them. I mean, they're out there max effort most of the time. So it's like their bodies almost have to break eventually, but I just, I'm out on Blake Snell. If it's any more than three or four years, Uh, I would do a five-year deal with an opt-out after three, but I, I would not want the Red Sox to go any further than three or four. Nick. Yeah, you really hit it with the Chris Sale comparison. I mean, you just relinquished yourself from Chris Sale to go back into this same form with signing Blake Snell gives me, in a way, the same feeling I might have if Chris Sale were still here or signed to the extension. The risk of injury is the biggest concern for me with Snell. I don't think his demeanor, his style of pitching – Screams to me long-term investment. If I'm comparing Blake Snell to Jordan Montgomery on an investment kind of scale, I'm going with the Jordan Montgomery model because I look at that as more of a pitcher that's going to give me durability. I don't look at Blake Snell as that guy that's going to get out there and going to be my five, you know, side of say it's five years. Maybe you get a year and a half, two years, 30 starts during the season. Outside of that, you're probably going to land with him on the on the you know IL list, some sort of injury again with the arm. I liked the number that the Yankees gave. I like that 150 number. I know the Red Sox just from how it is right now. It's very tough for them. We're trying to sign a free agent. I think the max I would potentially even go with the Blake Snell if that's somebody that does happen to fall for them. 175 mil. I'll up at 25, but that's about it for me. The only reason I would do that is because at least it gives you a name and an arm that is MLB caliber starting pitcher. Because that's not something that the Red Sox could have said for many years in the past couple seasons. At least the guy has some sort of a track record where he's got, you know, the two Cy Youngs. He's had pretty good numbers throughout when he's pitched. My biggest problem with this, though, is, again, investment on the long-term length of the deal. And that nine-year, 270 mil, forget it. There is no way a team is going to go out there and go and give him that. So expectation for him is uh, he's going to have to settle for something that's a lot less out of the price range. It might have to be a higher average uh, salary number, kind of like what they did with a Max Scherzer. But I don't see this nine-year 270 coming out of anybody's pocket for a Major League Baseball team. So the crazy thing to me here is only twice in his career, which goes back to 2016, only twice has he exceeded 128 innings. 
And that was 180 this previous season when he won a Cy Young. The only other season was 2018, 180 and two-thirds. He recorded two more outs that year than he did this previous year. Also won the Cy Young. Those are the only two seasons he's put in a full season's worth of work. Where do you get off asking for 270? What what do you you have two Cy Young awards? Well, guess what? Blake Snell won a Cy Young. Uh, not Blake. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, Rick Porcello won a Cy Young. Like it happens. Guys, guys go off occasionally. A couple of other things that are ominous. Blake Snell led all of Major League Baseball last year with 99 walks. And he had the highest hit per nine at 5.8. So he's given up almost six hits a game in five walks. You're probably never going to see another Cy Young with, with those marks on it for the rest of your life. That's how freakish this was as, as an anomaly. And you would have almost instant remorse on signing this deal. And I just went through, you know, the number of teams. I'm like, well, where could he end up? Who who could give him $240 million? I could only come up with four teams, two of which I would consider to be dark horses. I, I think the Angels could do it because they're desperate and they need pitching. And they've got a psychotic owner who, who does crazy things. I, I've told this before on the podcast, but are you guys aware of how the Albert Pujols negotiations went? Probably not. So winter meetings that year, whatever year it was, it might've been 2011, 2012, something like that. I think it was late 2011. Cause I think he was a free agent right after they won that world series. Artie Moreno, the owner of the angels approached Pujols's agent. And he said, he asked him, he said, do you think Albert would take $160 million? And his agent said, well, you know, that's a generous offer, but I really have to, you know, confer with uh, Albert on that one. And Moreno immediately, right away says, well, how about 200 million? Do you think he would take 200 million? And the agent repeated himself, well, that's, that's pretty generous, uh, but I, you know, I, I still have to confer with him. And then immediately... This is a, a two-minute conversation. Moreno says, well, how about $240 million? And then the agent was like, okay, well, he, he probably will take that, but let me, let me give him a call. And that's, that's how it went down. That's how the negotiations went down. That's how Albert Pujols ended up in Anaheim. So for that reason alone, I'm not ruling out Blake Snell, um, who apparently wants the same exact contract Pujols got. The other American League team that could do it, but I would consider them a dark horse, is the Detroit Tigers. They're trying they need to get relevant at some point. That might be a good park for him. Maybe they pull this off. I consider them a dark horse. I can't think of any other American League team now that the Yankees are out and, and the Red Sox probably won't do it. The two National League teams I could see doing it possibly the San Francisco Giants 
who have made some kind of under the radar guys. They signed uh, a couple of uh, Japanese players there. Uh, I forget their names. One was the outfielder, and then I can't remember the second one. Uh, but they they could do it. They have money to spend, and if he's willing to, maybe they would be open to it. That's another probably a pretty good park for a guy like Blake Snell. The other team, and I would consider this a dark horse team like the Tigers, uh, would be the Washington Nationals. Uh, they've got they're the richest. They have the richest owners in Major League Baseball. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe Cohen is now, but if, so if they're not number one, they're not they're number two. Uh, and that's the Lerner family. But Washington's getting better. Some of their prospects are up. And they they could be the Baltimore Orioles this year. They could be the 2023 Baltimore Orioles. I don't think they'll win 100, but they could very well surge into uh, at least a wild card spot. So it sort of makes sense to, to go after a guy like Snell, maybe. And again, this is all on the premise that he'll get a seven or eight year deal. Two other teams you think you could possibly consider are both the Mets and the Padres, but both of them have steadfastly said all winter long, they're looking to reduce payroll. They're not looking to make a huge splash. So I'm just going to take that at face value and rule them out. But that's it. So he does not have a big market at all. And... Micah, Nick, you guys are talking about he's going to have to take a shorter deal. And I think that's the way of the future. I think that's the new normal now. Any pitcher in their 30s is going to have to take a two, three, four-year deal at big money, though, like between 30 and $40 million a year. I think that's the new normal. I think it's better for baseball, for teams to not have essentially dead money on their books for the second half of those deals. And it shouldn't be bad for the players either because if you're confident you're going to be a good pitcher throughout your thirties, then why not take a a three or four year deal at big money? Trevor Bauer, by the way, we'll get to him in a second. He took a deal like that in his age 28 or 29 season because he, he just knew he was going to reload, you know, at big money at the end of it. Unfortunately, you know, he had off the field troubles, but but I think that's the new normal. But go ahead, Micah. I think, you know, we haven't seen a pitcher do this, but if they were to bet on themselves on in the short term and sign those bigger deals, um, you know, those $40 million a year deals, they would actually make more money over the course of their career because that's the only way that these teams are willing to do these mega deals is just stretch them out. And, you know, if you end up losing 30 or $40 million at the end of the deal, it's like a signing bonus essentially. But that's the only way they can do it with the luxury tags. So I, I think it's smart for Snell to do it. Um, I, I think it just going through some of the teams, the Tigers, I, I'd be curious to see just because of the Javi Baez deal has been a train wreck. And I don't know if they'd want to go in another big deal that is – um, that has a lot of question marks, you know, because Baez has been one of the worst players in all of baseball. Um, the you said the Nationals, they hit well on the Scherzer extension, but 
the they're still going to be paying Strasburg a long, long time, and Corbin um, Patrick Corbin has been really bad as well. So I don't know if they're going to go that road just yet. But it's an interesting team because I do agree with you, Terry. I think they are a team that you're going to have to watch in the NL East. Like it would not surprise me if they finish in third or even fourth. I, I think they're ready to get out of the the cellar in that in that division. Um, to me, I think. I think the Angels is probably the the leader just because Blake Snell is like the definition of another bad contract for the Angels. Like I just you could just see it. Um and I, I think another team you gotta look out for would be the Dodgers on a one year deal. I don't think you can rule them out. Um if they're fine going over the first luxury thre- um tax threshold. They could go into the, the this the, over the first one, stay in the second one, and they could sign them to a, a one year, thirty eight, thirty nine million dollar deal, um, and just bolster that rotation just even more. I, I would not be surprised at all. Um, the Dodgers are doing crazy things. Blake Snell could say, you know what, I'm going to make forty million dollars this year, and I'm going to go play on the best team and win a World Series, and I'll hit free agency next year. I'll show base. I'll show all the other teams. I can not only do it for one year, but I'll do it for back-to-back years, and then I'll go get another big deal. I don't know. I would not rule the Dodgers out because they have been the only team all offseason that has actually shown the desire to win. I'm pulling up their payroll right now. I, I would have assumed they were way over it. So you, you think they're still under the the first threshold? I I don't think that they're not under the they're not under the the luxury tax, but I don't know how far they are um, with the first one, like uh, to go into the second one. Um, but you know they could do a crazy thing where they give a they give Snell just enough to stay under, and then they give them twenty five million dollars in deferred money. Like it just they're they're essentially printing money with how much they're deferring money. And it's like at this rate, if you owe eight hundred and sixty million dollars of deferred money, what's another twenty five million at this point? Like, it really doesn't mean anything. So you just just defer it, and you give them a, a forty five million dollar one year deal, twenty five million deferred, and you just you you go get another ace. It just I don't know. I they're doing weird things, and it wouldn't shock me. I was thinking the same thing like you were uh, with the Dodgers. I can't rule them out either, especially with how they've gotten away with this deferred money. If they're all in, what's one more piece for them? Nothing. It's really nothing. But I also got to look at the Giants here for this situation too, because if you're a Giants fan and you're seeing what's happening, you know, across the bay, oh, you got to be livid right now. Like the what did the the Giants need to do something? And this would be a move that I think could get the fans into a, okay, well, you know, we've got a piece here that could get us into some sort of a conversational piece. I like your uh, take too, Terry, on the Washington Nationals piece. Um, The one thing that we didn't mention on the Blake Snell part in association with the Nationals is Scott Boris and, and the Nationals get along very well. They have done a lot of contracts throughout the years, and it's something that I think that could be a definite dark horse if the Nationals want to jump into contention zone again and start getting things back into a, a pattern of winning again. So that that's where I look at those potential suitors for uh, Blake Snell. I think one of those three, I think I would feel pretty confident with saying that he's going to head, head there. 
Um, Angels, I think they could throw as much money as they want out there. But as we all know with the Angels, nothing will happen. There will be another disaster. <laughs> so I do have the Dodgers payroll up on Spotrack, and it's listing it at $291 million. So I don't, I don't think he really fits there, uh, even on a one-year deal. And I, I think that's partly why they deferred some of Teoscar's money as well. So I just think that's another telltale sign. Uh, as far as the Nationals go, I, I think Snell would probably be better than Patrick Corbin. I think that's the floor. And I'm wondering with Strasburg, did they just not do their due diligence as far as medicals and all that? He didn't pitch at all. He pitched very well in the World Series. And then uh, so that it sounds to me like boxes uh, didn't get checked off during that yeah i i think they saw what he did in the playoffs and they're like here's a blank check you you tell us how many years how many dollars and you're a national for life and i mean it's really a shame because i think i was i was reading something where like they had to like take his part of his rib out or something because he was having such shoulder pain and like his hand was going numb like he's been through the ringer with surgeries and rehab and it's just a shame because if you look at that that World Series team, I mean, what he did, I mean, it was an incredible, incredible run that he and uh, Scherzer put on. That was, well, the I'd say the Braves were, you know, from out of nowhere that season too, losing Acuna and I think one other key player somewhere in there. Um, Soroka, I guess, might have been it. And, you know below 500 on August 1st and then they win the world series. And then I would say the nationals would be a close second at that point. We were just so used to them being a disappointment in October. So there was no reason to believe they were going to beat the brewers in the wild card game and then go on this crazy run. Well, all right, let's get into two names. Uh, one of which, uh, the Red Sox have been connected to, well, let's, let's start with him. Let's start with Mike Clevenger. Um, I'm not a fan. I just, the dude looked absolutely cooked the year before last with the Padres seemed to figure it out in Chicago. If you look at his baseball savant page, there's a lot of red on there, which is good. Um, if there's a lot of blue, that means they rank very poorly in a lot of, uh, metrics. Some of those are way too scientific for me to <laughs> try to figure out, but, but his chart looks good. But at the same time, you know, he did pretty well in the American League Central. I'm not a fan of him in the American League East. I just, I'd hate to see it. And if it did happen, I'd be even more furious if it was for more than one year. But Micah, go ahead. He's an interesting arm for sure. Um on uh, Jared Caravas's, uh podcast, uh, they had Lucas Giolito on as a, for an interview because they were teammates. And, I mean, Giolito had nothing but, you know, praise for Clevenger. And he said once he was tinkering with one of his pitches and once he figured – I think it was his sweeper – once he figured it out, like his last, like, 15 starts were just insane and he just went on a crazy run. Um, I, to me, though, it, it's another – 
number three or number four starter probably. And it's like, well, how many number three and number four starters can you have? Um, and I just, I don't know if he necessarily moves the needle. Um, and they will have to deal with, you know, you, you will get a lot of um, fan kind of pushback on the signing because he was involved in a domestic um, um, violence um, investigation. Um, he was accused of, strangling his uh his wife who was pregnant and he threw chewing tobacco at his child like now he he was never um he was never suspended by major league baseball for this but you will have fans who question the character of this player and um i I don't know Is, is it worth going through the ringer with clevenger or when we talk about bauer it's going to be the question is do these guys really put the Red Sox over the top or do they really put them back into contention? Do you want to deal with the, you know, the, the fan backlash of signings like this? Um, I mean, Clevenger pitched last year, the White Sox threw him all year. He was never suspended. So, you know, with these cases, they're, they're super difficult to talk about because everyone has their, their own ideas about them. But you can't forget that Araldis Chapman was accused of firing a, a gun in the house with his at the time it was either ex girlfriend or fiance. He choked her, um, and it's like he was suspended thirty games. Now maybe if that happened, you know, in twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, it would have been handled differently. But Chapman was accused, and he was found of doing these things. And all he basically had to do was say, I'm sorry, and serve a 30-game thir- a suspension. And then he was allowed to resume his career. Now, I'm not saying he should be allowed to resume his career, but I think a lot of Red Sox fans would have been fine if at some point last year around the deadline, if they actually acquired Araldis Chapman before the Rangers, I think many Red Sox fans would have been excited about that move and you know happy to add a, a power arm to the bullpen. And it's like if you're going to be – depending on how you would feel about Chapman – I think you have to kind of look at Clevenger and and um, Bauer in the same kind of lens. It's muddy. Um, I, I'm kind of out on both of them. Um, you know, I, we'll talk about Bauer, but I understand why Red Sox fans would be interested um, in, in either of the guys because I, I think they they are better than probably a Nick Pavetta maybe at number five in the rotation. You know, the, the, these guys are probably better than that. But again, it's the backlash. Do you want to deal with the negative publicity? Because they already have a lot of it. Nick, go ahead. Uh, thoughts on Clevenger? Yeah, I'm going to take a, a different angle with this. Um, I'm going to take this as a Red Sox fan, a fan that is angry right now. Not, not say me in general, but just the general consensus of a Red Sox fan is upset that there hasn't been moves upset that there's been no improvement with the roster and everything. Here's a guy, Mike Clevenger, who is been around the league for quite some time. He's had some ups and downs, but overall he's been a pretty consistent pitcher. I love the point that you made Micah with the role as Chapman with his whole, uh, you know, personal life story that he ended up having all kinds of issues with fans are very, very can very much forgive and forget. And that's a lot of the definition of what life is from here. It's not saying that you 
forget what incident has occurred. But when that player comes and they start to win and they start to get you into contention and start to make you believe that you're going to be a winner again or a championship caliber team, I think any anybody out there would say, sign me up. I'm all for it if this person's going to come in and get you to the promised land of getting a championship. Clevenger here is a classic example of what the Red Sox have done for the past two, three years. They take reclamation project pitchers that have had so-called down seasons and try and make something out of it and try their best to catch lightning in a bottle and have them deliver. The association here with Lucas Giolito, in my eyes, looks pretty promising here for Clevenger to be a name that the Red Sox definitely are talking with to see if there can be some sort of a deal that's struck. Do I love the move? Do I think it moves the needle? No. But does it put a pitcher that's in the rotation that, you know, can you get 30 starts a season? Can he be durable? Can he be somebody that can take the ball every time out? <clears throat> time out? Yeah, he can definitely do that for you and give you a little bit more than maybe what you could get from a Nick Pavetta of sorts. So again, I don't love I don't love it. But I could see the association with Giolito already having the connection there, bringing him into Boston and everything. It makes sense, guys. It makes sense. I'm not, again, I don't love it, but I can see the Red Sox taking a chance and a gamble and seeing what he can do. Honestly, uh... I'm just not into it with, with Clevenger. I, I just don't know if he can repeat what he did last year in a very robust American League East. One of the hardest, most explosive offensive divisions in MLB. I just, I, I would be uncomfortable doing that. And part of me is wondering, well, why hasn't anyone else? I mean, the all of that domestic violence stuff, the accusations that were out there, that was before Chicago and they signed him anyway. So why isn't any other team signing him? I just feel like he would be a, a liability in a rotation that, that has some liabilities. And let's not forget, we, we all wanted Lucas Giolito or most of us, I should say he is a liability too, you know, until he he's proven otherwise, he's got a, an immense ceiling. So I just, I'm just not a fan. Terry, I have an interesting take on why he might still be out there. Right, and I don't know if any, I don't know if any other team is just kind of waiting for that domino to fall from Montgomery and Snell. I don't know if that's another backup plan, kind of like what the Yankees did with pivoting with Marcus Stroman. It could be, and it could be the reason why he's still out there from everything. I mean, looking at his numbers last season, he was pretty decent. So it's not to say this guy's terrible by any means. I mean, he had a better season than Giolito. Let's be honest here. He did. Number-wise, he did. So it could be a fallback option for another team. That's the only other theory I have on him. And and if you look at his career ERA, 3.45. Like, that, that is solid work. And, you know, his year um, – 2022 he had a 4.33 that was the worst year he had since his rookie year but he was coming back from tommy john surgery like that was his first season back so i mean the guy has a track record of when he pitches and i mean he doesn't make a ton of starts like he's only made uh more than 24 starts one time in his career so you know 
could you get 20 to 25 starts out of him? Probably, but I don't know if you're getting 30. But when he's on the mound, for the most part, he's very good. And I just find it interesting that a guy with a track record like his, you know, we saw Seth Lugo get a three-year deal from Kansas City, and he's basically been a starter for one season. And so many teams wanted him. There was a bidding war for him. And it's like Clevenger is by far a way more proven pitcher. I think they're the exact same age. Or maybe Clevenger's a year younger. I think maybe Lugo is 34. And it's like, I think it's it's like your question, Terry. Why is nobody on him? And it just you I would think that if you were to throw out the off-the-field issues, Clevenger would have definitely gotten a better deal than Seth Lugo. And maybe he will, but it doesn't seem that way on January 15th that he's gonna do that. There, there just seems to be either a character issue. Um, maybe he's not great in the clubhouse. Maybe it is the off the field issues. I don't know, but there is something going on because when you look at his numbers, I don't see why teams wouldn't be interested in that. If you just go off the back of the baseball card. Yep. Well, a couple things here. We talk about off the field issues. You guys might remember he actually was, I don't know if the term could be suspended or just sent home, but he violated COVID protocols and so did Zach Plesak and they were both sent home in 2020. So I'm not sure what he's like behind the scenes. Is, is it possible? Maybe he's not a popular guy in the clubhouse typically for reasons we're not aware of. And again, I'm speculating here, but we didn't really know there was major issues with with Alex Verdugo until he was benched that final time in July or August. And apparently there was lots of issues. And, and then he and Heim had that weird meeting out in short center field. So so perhaps there's there's some stuff that we just don't know about that other front offices do. Secondly, I'm still uncomfortable with a multi-year deal. Now, if he goes out this year and basically replicates what he did last season, I'd be more comfortable giving him a, a two or three year deal or, or a Seth Lugo type deal next season at age 34, which is how old Seth Lugo is. Sonny Gray, also 34 years old, got a three year deal. I would just hate to be the team that does it and then he doesn't end up making the the rotation in the postseason like he didn't with the the Padres. If 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 they if he goes on a one year deal and he does what he did last year, and he pitches for a postseason team, he's not going to get a Seth Lugo type deal though. Like he's going to beat that in my opinion. Um, and I think because he would have had two really good years and he's exactly would be the exact same age as Seth Lugo was last year. Just the track record alone is there. I just feel like if you're going to get him at a discount and maybe that's the problem with the way the Red Sox have been operating, operating, maybe, you know, it's always been over the last couple of years. Well, we could get a good value deal on him, but it's like, yeah, you could, but you're, there's also a ton of risk for that good value. And maybe it's, doing more what you said, Terry, where, you know what, don't take the risk on a multi-year deal. If he goes out and pitches well and he earns a multi-year deal, 
give him the multi-year deal because he earned it and he showed you that he can do it. And don't worry about good value and just get a good pitcher. And maybe that's been the problem. It's more about the value than getting good pitchers. And maybe that's why the Red Sox rotation has been just a train wreck over the last couple of years. If he has a, you know, if he signs a one-year deal and then replicates what he did in 2023, he would probably be more in line for somewhere in sunny gray territory. I, I certainly don't think yeah, he'd get, with that. I don't think he'd get more than 25 and he might not get quite 25, maybe, you know, three years, 66, that would be 22 per something like that. I would say, but, um, but we'll see. Uh, but if you, if you go back to early November and you tell me that, you know, Mike Clevenger was going to be one of your guys, I would have said, man, I'm not, I'm not happy with that. You know, and I told you there, and maybe, maybe a month from now I'll be singing a different tune. Maybe we do get James Paxton. Then I'll, then I will be pissed. We didn't sign Clevenger because that that's the world we've lived in for three or four years now. But I just I want the bar to be, you know, somewhat high. Oh, it's funny how with the pitchers that we've brought in, like the Klubers of the world, say Clevenger comes into the fold here from stuff. Say the Red Sox make a move and get Shane Bieber. It would be all examples. It would be all examples of former Indian pitchers that were all half decent that the Red Sox take a chance at and they have nine times out of ten failed. That's an interesting. That's an interesting look. Uh, look, if you look at that under a microscope, I don't like that look at all. But I, I'm I hate gonna, it. I'm I, not going to look I under a it. microscope. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I can see ha- it I just fine it. without the the scope. <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't need any more looks of it either. <laughs> interesting enough, I, I did put a poll on Twitter just to kind of gauge where um, Red Sox fans were because Jim Bowden. Now take his reports for what it is, but he did link Clevenger to the Red Sox. And I gave three options. You either like the deal, you hate the deal, or you're okay, but the Red Sox need another starting pitcher. 17% said they would like it. 41% said they would hate it. And 42% said okay, but need another starting pitcher. So that's – I mean, it's only 645 votes, but it does kind of give us a a feel for, you know, where Red Sox Nation is at with, you know, Clevenger. But I'm with you, Terry. I I think the bar – it's just been lowered too much over the last couple of years. And we should, the Red Sox fans should be looking for, you know, pitchers way above Mike Clevenger. Now, if, if we're going to take a risk, you know, if you're going to go with off the field controversy, I steadfastly prefer a guy like Bauer. Someone who's been good basically his entire career. Well, from 2017 forward, I would call that his breakout year. Wins a Cy Young in the abbreviated uh, 2020 season. Last season in Japan, a 2.76 ERA with a 1.15 whip. That could be a little inflated because he did get lit up in his first couple of starts. And then actually was optioned to the Japanese minors. (laughs) <laughs> and then came back and was just a beast after that. I was looking for actual numbers and I can't find them, but his average fastball 
was the second highest of his career. His average velocity was the second highest of his career in his age 32 season. He turns 33 in, in two days, by the way. Uh, and then his peak velocity was the highest it ever was of his career. As far as being on the mound, I think Trevor Bauer is an extremely safe option. I really believe that. It comes it would come with some controversy and the Red Sox have been, you know, very outside of Matt Dermody, by the way, which is weird, but have been a pretty politically correct organization. So that would, you know, lead me to believe a guy like Bauer probably is an extreme long shot for Boston, but but he he'd be cheap. He would be very cheap on a one year deal. And I'm good with it. I'm good with it. The last time I ran a poll on it, which I think was at some point in the 2023 season, 60 something percent was favorable to bringing back Trevor Bauer to, to giving him an opportunity. And I'm not going to get into the details of his cases uh, at all, but, but you know, the DA in, in Los Angeles or, or whatever County it was, you know, it's pretty easy to get charged with stuff there and they couldn't charge him and he hasn't been charged criminally anywhere. And to my knowledge, I, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm correct. There's never even been another criminal investigation on him done anywhere else. So, uh, you know, he, he does have a civil trial coming up in May and potentially two others at some point, but that's not set in stone. They may happen. They may not, but nothing, no criminal investigations are, are ongoing. And I would consider him to be pretty low risk as far as anything criminal. Now, could he be a pain in the clubhouse? Possibly. I mean, you, I can't rule that out, but he sounds like a guy that really wants to finish out his MLB career. And, you know, and if you go to his YouTube channel, watch his workouts, the dude's a maniac. He's in great shape. And if you're going to take a chance on somebody, I would rather it be him. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, the problem that you have here is you have your lovely ownership group who probably would never touch him. Worth a lick. I think that's based in point with John Henry, Warner, and Kennedy. I don't think that they'd go anywhere near the backlash of what it could bring here to Boston. Now, that's them. That's not me. Character-wise, if you want to look at that, I don't like his per I don't like the way that he has gone about his way with women, the general public, that sort of thing. However, when it comes to compete and it comes to winning and it comes to putting somebody on the mound who is going to be durable and get the job done, you can count on, sign me up 100% for that. I take the risk on that right there because I do think it outweighs, you know, you have to balance it out, the pros and cons. I think there's more pros than cons by putting a star-powered player in, in, in forced for the Red Sox in, in Bauer. Um, there's still more to be said on, you know, what happens as time goes on with Trevor Bauer's, uh, whole, you know, case and everything with stuff. But I do think the whole 
the whole thing in this world where innocent until proven guilty. He's not guilty of anything. He's not. So he should be able to be pitching back in the Major League Baseball. Now, does Major League Baseball have some sort of thing with ownerships around the league that says you cannot sign this guy? I don't know. Is he getting the Kaepernick kind of treatment where you can't go near him? Who knows? Not saying that it's the same kind of thing like Kaepernick. Kaepernick's a different thing, but we never saw Kaepernick play again for football. So will another be- team be able to sign him? I think that's to be determined. Micah? It, it's interesting you bring up the idea of him just kind of being like blackballed from, you know, blacklisted from, you know, Major League Baseball, because I, I do think based on the, the the charges and how it all played out, I do think Major League Baseball was very quick to punish him the way they did. Because, I mean, the charges were dropped after, you know, the I think there was like a, a double lawsuit or whatever it was. It was like a weird thing. Well, he wasn't he wasn't ever formally charged. It, it was just a criminal investigation. And then the D.A. announced they wouldn't charge him. But I didn't Bauer have to threaten to sue um, the woman to get everything released or something like that. Yes. And then I feel like the story came out of him like, well, it, it looked very obvious. There was no necessarily foul play in terms of criminally. Correct. Yeah, it it was really weird because this affidavit got released and there were there were paragraphs in there and I've posted it on Twitter a bunch of times, but they they had her text messages talking with her AA sponsor about how she was hoping to kind of set him up basically. Um and and then there was another thing in somewhat in relation to that. And I was reading those like last spring, like almost a year ago, but he never addressed that publicly until this past fall on his YouTube channel. And he was at pains to point out there was only, there was only, he had the only legal victory in the case. Like there was only one legal decision and it was won by him. So there, there's a lot of legal terminology, and I'm obviously none of us are yeah. lawyers. That's why I'm not able to articulate it quite as well. But, but you know, it, it is what it is. And, and to Nick's point, real quick, I I do believe that there's a it, it is a very Kaepernick like situation where there's this silent agreement, like none of us are going to sign Bauer, and we're yeah. just gonna we're gonna stay off of him break. for for different reasons, but. It is interesting because I, if someone were to sign him, I just wonder what Major League Baseball stance would be. Like, would they make any announcement? Or like, I, I don't think they're going to go back on the fact that they suspended him. Like, I feel like they thought that was justified, and and so be it. But I think if you look back at it now, it looks really bad on Major League Baseball, um, just based on the charges. I'm not. People can feel however they they want about the situation. You know, and some people would say, sure, he should be suspended. But based on how they've treated other players in the past with similar cases, it just seems like what was actually the result of the the case. I don't see how Bauer got suspended that long. It doesn't make a lot of sense in, in, my, in my eyes. Yeah, I I think he that suspension was levied before the DA announced that it there were no was, charges. but. 
So I with what I was going to say real quick, though, is I, I think perhaps maybe Major League Baseball was gambling that there would, in fact, be charges. Yeah. And, and then there. I think it's pretty accurate because like we saw with the Marcelo Zuna case, where, oh my like they but they didn't jump to a conclusion where they suspended him so far in advance you know, before the case actually happened, like they just basically put him on, um, like he was on administrative leave until the case happened. But like, for whatever reason, this particular case, they decided to basically give him a full suspension. And it's just, it's interesting. So I'm curious what happens with him. Um, I I think the fact that there were a total of, I I feel like I looked it up, uh, four cases against him, four different women, have come coming um, come out and said that there was allegations of sexual assault and different things. Um, you know, for me, that's I, I know it's innocent until proven guilty, but it's concerning for a guy's character when that many women are coming out against him. Um, it makes me question it. I'm not saying I think you know all everything is true, but it, it definitely for me it makes me a little uneasy. Um, I think I would have a hard time with a Bauer signing um, just based on the fact of multiple women. Um, I, I just like the Deshaun Watson, um, you know, thing in the NFL. I just, that to me was embarrassing. The fact that he got a deal like that. And just with all the different women that came out, like I just, it makes me uncomfortable and maybe I'm wrong by, you know, no one ever actually, you know, he was never criminally charged, but it just, this conversation makes me a little uneasy. And I just wonder, is it really worth going through all these muddy water if the Red Sox are just going to finish in last place again in the AL East, even if they have Trevor Bauer? I I don't know. I honestly think if, if Bauer is in the rotation, I think it's extremely formidable. Like my attitude, we still need a bat. And, and I won't be comfortable until that happens. But I really, I could get to 90 wins with Bauer in the rotation. I think so. With Giolito, <sighs> Bauer, Bayo, who am I missing? We got a number Crawford. four. No. Nick Pavetta. I think Pavetta would be in there. Oh, I feel like I'm missing one more key name. Maybe not. Uh, but anyway, I do want to point out this one other thing. And. So Marcelo Zuna was, uh, there was a 911 call. The cops show up on their body cam. He is seen with his hands around her neck saying he is going to effing kill her. Okay. He gets arrested, charged with felonies, um, ends up, I think, taking a plea deal. Um, let's see. I, I don't know. It, it had to have been a plea deal. Don't, I guess don't quote me on that. But the 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 felony charges were dropped uh, down to a misdemeanor of uh, simple uh, assault and uh, and battery. And and that's it. And the original charges were aggravated assault and strangulation. So those two felonies got dropped for battery and simple assault. And he's playing in Major League Baseball. He got he got fined, he got suspended. He served that suspension. Trevor Bauer, his his criminal record is 
as clean as mine, my criminal record, and I don't think it's even criminal. I think they were technically civil violations, but I got two speeding tickets and a seatbelt ticket. And, you know, maybe his record is better than mine for crying out loud. So based on the fact that Marcelo Zuna is in the league and Aroldis Chapman is in the league, I, I really think Trevor Bauer should have the opportunity to get back in the league. Like I just, if those guys right, got a right. second chance, yeah, if those guys got a second chance, I don't see why Trevor Bauer would not. Now I'm not saying I want him on the Red Sox, but I'm just saying from a, from a, a fairness standpoint, I don't see how you justify Marcelo Zuna in particular. And Trevor Bauer doesn't get in. So Terry, if you had to put a percentage of, the fact that Bauer's in the league, what would you put it on right now? Pretty low. Um, I would say about 10%, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I hope I'm wrong. And w- one of the other points I just want to touch on one more time, uh, we kind of mentioned it you know, with the Kaepernick comparisons. Don't forget that three or four years ago, Bauer was a very outspoken critic of Rob Manfred uh, in terms of a couple of rule changes. He was vehemently against the pitch clock, which in in other pitchers were as well. They just weren't quite as vocal. Uh, A couple of those were Verlander and Scherzer. Um, But Bauer would just rage against Rob Manfred on Twitter. And he took major exception to expanding the number of playoff teams which I kind of did as well. I mean, and I hope they never mess with it ever again. I don't want to dilute the playoffs. Look at those NFL games this weekend. <laughs> tell me, joke. tell me the playoffs in the NFL aren't diluted, but, but anyway, I, I don't want to see that happen with, with major league baseball. I, I would just leave it alone as it is. Even if the league expands to 32 teams, which it, it's probably going to happen maybe towards the end of this decade. I still wouldn't touch the the playoff format, but Bauer was was extremely outspoken, kind of wore Manfred out, and I think that's a big part of what's going on here. I'm speculating, but I I think that's a big part of of why he had such harsh punishments levied against him with with no criminal charges to back it up, you know. So. Yeah. And I'm not a and, Rob Manfred guy, so maybe that's what makes me somewhat sympathetic, you know, with Bauer. And and for the record, you can go back and listen to the older episodes. I think they were a couple December's ago. But initially, I thought Bauer was guilty, and I I said on at least one or two podcasts he should never pitch, he should never see the light of day in MLB again. But as the facts have come out, I I've pivoted on that. And, you know, and, and that's where I'm at. But that that picture of that girl's face, that was jarring when that when that came out. I was like, he is done. And I don't want to get into that, but I would encourage people to, to look that up, uh, especially Bauer's account with the digital, uh, you know, evidence that, you know, kind of deals with that. But um, but yeah, so. Um, all right, let's, uh, we're over an hour here, so let's just spend a few minutes on, uh, Marcus Stroman. So the Yankees have had a pretty good winter here. Uh, they pivoted away from Blake Snell. They bring in Stroman, who's going to be serviceable. He's going to be a headache for the fans. He's going to block two thirds of the whole fan base on Twitter, uh, by the end of that contract. But 
their rotation looks okay. They're going to have Nestor Cortez, who is probably going to be healthy. Hopefully, well, they're hoping that Carlos Rodon will be healthy. You got Stroman in there, and you got the reigning Cy Young, you know, Garrett Cole. And I think they got one or two other guys. They traded uh, King uh, to get Soto, but that's a pretty that's a pretty dangerous looking team again, Micah. Yeah, I think they've had a, a really really good off season. Um, you look at some of the the weaknesses they had last year is they struggled with the bottom of the order to get on base. Um, they didn't have a lot of power from, you know, Stanton cause he was out. Um, and Soto is probably one of the best on base guys in the league. Verdugo's a, a three forty to probably three fifty OBP guy. Uh, Soto has the power obviously. And Stroman, if, if you look at the starting rotation, it was, where are the innings going to come from? Because there's a lot of risk with Cortez, Rodon. But if you look at Stroman, he made 33 starts, 25, and 25. If the Yankees get 25 starts out of Marcus Stroman, I think this team is – they're in contention for the division. Maybe they don't win it, but they're absolutely there in the final week or two of the season. Um, probably going into the season, I, I would probably name them as of right now the favorite to win the division just because I like their offseason way more than the Orioles who've done nothing. Um, the Rays traded away their their front of the rotation arm, so I don't like the Rays. And the Blue Jays haven't done anything, and they've been the probably the most underachieving team over the last three years. And then you have the Red Sox who aren't – they're not serious. So – if you if you look at all the teams, to me the Yankees have done the most this offseason. And uh I just I, I think there, there there's going to be questions all season long about the health of certain players, but Cashman's shown the ability to make trades at the deadline, and I think they could do that. I think they can add a piece or two. And I, I really think this team will be competing for the division at the end of the year. Nick. I mean, you kind of knew that the Red Sox really didn't care this offseason when you saw a real historic move where the Red Sox and Yankees make a trade with each other with Verdugo going to the Yankees. That short porch in right field with Verdugo, he's going to have quite a season, and it's going to be painful for some of us Red Sox fans to sit there and watch it. The Yankees, to me right now, are your number one team in the AL East. They have gotten a whole lot better than you as a Red Sox team. But they've also gotten so much better from what the Orioles, the Blue Jays, and the Rays have done between Soto and now adding in some more length to your rotation on top of Garrett Cole that's there. The Yankees are your daddy right now. <laughs> They're the daddy. So they they are going to most likely have a very good season, and the Red Sox are going to be stuck in the cellar once again. And it's going to be embarrassing and painful to have to watch this if this is the product that we see come opening day. I'm going to take it a step further than both of you guys. I think the Yankees could be the favorite to go to the World Series to win the American League pennant. I mean, who who else is there? Nobody from the Central. Let's let's just drop that baloney. Um, out West, I mean, could the Mariners finally do it and have a dream season? I suppose. 
Uh, the Astros haven't done anything spectacular, and they've even talked about trading Framber Val Valdez. So I'm not quite sure where they're at. I mean, they're you can't rule them out, of course, but but I I don't know. Uh, you know, Toronto should be. I mean, they they just never live up to their expectations. They haven't even won a, a division with this window that they've had with these all these. Hall of Famers they have in their lineup right now between Bichette, Guerrero. I don't know if, if Gosman obviously will, but they, that's a pretty robust, you know, roster that they have. And you look at the Yankees rotation, Cole, Rodon, Stroman, Clark Schmidt was the guy I could not think of. Uh, and then Nestor Cortez. Man, that's a that's a good rotation if, if Rodon can be healthy. If Rodon is like... 2021 Rodon. Oh my goodness. That's, that's nasty. And you know, as far as the Orioles go, they need at least one starting pitcher and they need Grayson Rodriguez to live up to his potential. Finally, if those two happen, if they get a cease and Ro Rodriguez does that, then okay. The Yankees have company. You want to know who I think the Orioles who would do really good with the Orioles as a veteran person. Don't say Shane Bieber. No, 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 no. I'm not talking pitching or anything. Justin Turner. Justin Turner, if you inserted him into that youth and everything, I think he brings a winning style of baseball. And that could be a dark horse if he goes over to there. The the hair would match their uniforms, by the way. It would. It, it, perfect fit. <laughs> Terry, did you? bird. Did you sleep on the world, the defending world champions there? I didn't hear you mention the Rangers at all. You mentioned the Mariners, but that you just slept right on the Rangers. That was a fluke. They lost Montgomery. <laughs> no, of all I'm these, with you, though. of all these, going to be hurt for longer. I, I just uh, can't. I'm, it was a cute story, and I'm glad they finally got one. I've never hated the Rangers. No, I'm with you. I, I, I do view, the one and done. I do view the Mariners and the Astros, even if. They are the defending champs. I just I see them as a bigger threat um, in 2024 than the Rangers. But I just I, I do think we got to mention them. They are the defending champs. They do deserve that little praise there. But um, it, there used to be a time when John Henry cared about what the Yankees did. I guess that's over. I guess that that time has come and gone because you can go back to you know when Alex Rodriguez was stolen from the Red Sox and then they countered with trading for Kurt Schilling, you know, who should be in the hall of fame minus all his, you know, his character issues off the field, but they traded for a hall of fame pitcher. And you, there's just a series of moves over the years in which they responded to moves that the Yankees have made. And over the year, the last couple of years, there's just been zero response. And that to me is the most telling sign that John Henry is just not invested in this team anymore because it used to be about beating the empire. And now it's just, they're content with sitting in last place and watching the Yankees sign big name after big name after big name. And I don't know. I just don't like these, this time of uh, this era of Red Sox baseball just is not as fun as it used to be because the rivalry itself is just, to me, it's not even a rivalry anymore. The the Yankees and the Astros are the rivalry right now for the American yeah, League. Yeah. I was gonna say, you know who you know who's really missed, and it's surprising to have to say the name, 
because he had obviously some critics and stuff with it, but Larry Lucchino. Well, I mean, Larry Lucchino, he gave us probably, I would Sandoval rather Larry and... Lucchino. He did, <laughs> yeah. but I would rather Larry Lucchino than I would Sam Kennedy right now. I mean, what have we seen from Sam Kennedy? Nothing but absolute failure, lies, nonsense, cowardice, cowardly behavior. Like, at least Lucchino would go out and he'd in, ignite the rivalry. He'd go out and make something happen and be more forthcoming with fans and everything. Nothing good happens uh, when a Kennedy is involved. And we got rid of our Bush. We got we got the Bush off the team, but we still got the Kennedy. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if we suck, I'm not gonna, you know, I mean, it's going to be annoying, but they're gonna, they're gonna lose a lot of money. They, they would. It's going to be really annoying, Terry, to talk again. I'm used to it. I, I have like, I have whatever syndrome is associated with podcasting about this team post 2018. But you've been doing this a while. Like, I, I, I don't even know, like next year. If they go in, if they say they add James Paxton and that's they call it an offseason. Oh my goodness. Like, what do you say, you know, when if April and the pitching staff is bad? Like, we are going to be repeating ourselves what we said all last year. They need an ace. They need an ace. They need an ace. They need an ace. Like, there's only so much you can say. And the only hope would be that Bayo takes a massive jump and he becomes the ace. But the only way they can do it is if they trade. Or they sign people, and it's like, well, we wait till next off season, and it's like this this ownership group has given you zero reason to believe an ace is coming, even in the minor leagues. Like there, there's no ace to be to to come and save the day. You know, um, Skeens that the that was the number one pick. He's not coming up in the Boston system. So I, I just I until they get an ace, I have no idea what the avenue for success is because that's what they need. They need pitching. And James Paxton, even though I like Lucas Giolito, I don't think he's the savior of the rotation. I don't. And if fans think that, I think you're really setting yourself up for a really disappointing season. I, I just don't know what we say if in April and May they're in last place and their pitching is going five innings and they're getting shelled. I mean – People are gonna they're gonna sound like I'm I'm just I'm, I'm on record from last year like you know I'm just hitting the record button and you can listen to me from last year it's just I, I don't know it's I'm rambling but I just it's so frustrating that this off season is essentially what has been done over the last couple of years I I really didn't think it was going this way yeah in. The crazy thing is, is let's say Jordan Montgomery is 20 million a year. Let's just say that's what his salary is going to be. The Red Sox are going to lose double or triple that if we suck, because it's going to be $1 tickets from July on if we're bad again. And it would have been cheaper to just sign a guy like Montgomery and actually win. You know, more tickets get sold at normal prices, more beers get drank, more subscriptions don't get canceled in that case. So it's just, it's frustrating. And this isn't an, an ownership group that likes to admit that they're wrong about anything. It's very, they're very stubborn that way. It, it took them like, 
I forget what year it was, maybe 21 or 22. They sort of admitted like, yeah, we botched the the Lester situation. And, you know, so and it was obvious to us, you know, by December of that year. So I don't I don't know what needs to happen. And here's the other scary thing. You know, we, we we've talked about for the better part of a year now about needing Boston as an organization to look attractive to free agents, to, to look like an attractive destination. I think we've already botched it for next year. How do you, how are we attractive? I mean, Lucas Giolito's here on a potentially a one-year deal unless he picks up the player option. And, and it'll be bad news if he picks that up because it meant he sucked. So, I mean, who do you have? I, I mean... The only way this looks attractive is if Casas becomes almost what Aaron Judge is, you know, with this team. You know, 40 home runs. I think he can hit 40. I really do. And 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 then maybe Abreu emerges or, or Duran continues what he did last year. How do you do it? I, I don't know how you 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 make this team look attractive. And, and this is a massive topic probably for another show, but I think Alex Cora is already going to be managing the Dodgers next year. I, I don't think he even wants an extension. Oh, that's signed, sealed, and delivered. A hundred percent. I don't think he even wants to come back. So, no, I don't either. So you don't even have a manager to, to make the team look attractive. We're going to get some nerd. Uh, I can't I believe that topic is is like – We've seen the Bogarts contract situation, how it just loomed over the team all year. Like the Cora situation, it, it's probably going to be worse because he's the guy who does the the, the post game interview every night. Like it's just it's going to be annoying that we have to hear the constant questions every all the time. Like I just can't believe they didn't try to sure that up. And I mean, he's going to want a Craig Council type deal, honestly, because he's got a World Series title under his belt and he's been to the ALCS. So, I mean, the council contract is is going to be a big game changer for managers, you know, moving forward because they're going to start getting paid. Like Alex Cora probably never had a big payday when he was a player, but he's going to have a big payday now as a manager because managers are going to start getting paid, at least the really good ones. And it may be weird for a manager to have three consecutive last place finishes and get a crazy payday. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens. Well, he's making 8 million this year, which is the same as council. And I, I think that's elevated, you know, year after year to get to 8 million. So his, his, from an annual standpoint, that's what he is making. But I don't, I don't think, he even cares. I don't think he, I think he knows he's going to end up in an awesome situation at the end of the day. And I think he's good with that. I, I don't yeah, think I mean, it, going, going into the season as the lame duck, you know, there's no, there's no contract. There's no nothing. I'm sure he already is all checked out. And I, I think if the Red Sox approached him, he might say, you know what? I, I want to wait till next season. I, I, he might take the Mookie Betts route. I want to I want to test free agency. You let me get here. There, there is no way if I'm Alex Cora, am I signing to stay here long term when you're giving me the rotation that you've given me over the last couple oh, of years absolutely. and you've done nothing in free agency to say we are really invested in winning in Boston. There is no way. 
no way would I sign a deal if I'm Alex Cora. I am waiting it out. And then if I truly want to go to Boston, I will have a bidding war and I will say, well, you know what? Do you really want me or not? Or do you just want me to for a one-year deal? Because that's essentially what the, the Red Sox would probably do. They'd probably say, can we get you on a one-year deal? Um, come back and manage us for the 2025 year and then we'll talk. It's just, it's so ridiculous. And I'm so sick of this. It's just, this isn't how you do business. <laughs> like, like you said, Terry, they could spend $20 million and probably make that in concessions and ticket sales and everything. And if you put Jordan Montgomery on this team, I think you could honestly talk yourself into like, could they compete for a wild card spot? But without Jordan Montgomery, they're a last place team. Like that's the that's the major discrepancy between those two outcomes. I just I don't know why you can't just add. We're not asking for uh, Yamamoto. Well, I mean, we were, but not at three hundred and twenty five million dollars. I don't think a lot of fans really wanted that at twelve years. But Jordan Montgomery, come on, we're not asking for them to break the bank. They have forty some million dollars to work with, or something like that. You know, it's wild. I don't even think they'd make a wild card even with Jordan Montgomery here. I'll even go even a little bit bolder on it because you still have holes on what your lineup's going to look like. I'm scared to death on their defense. I am. I don't know what that's going to shape out to be because you could put all the pitchers out there that you want, but if you can't field the baseball, that's a big problem too. And we all know it was a bad, bad, bad track that they had last season too. Well, give me Montgomery and Solaire. I'll put this team in the postseason. I I really think it'll it'll happen. I don't know if it'll be the division, but but we'll see. All right, we are way way over, and we were a couple hours ago. We were like, "What the hell are we even going to talk about?" You know, and we what a lot a lot of built up frustration, Terry. We just had a really intense ninety minute show, so. We will wrap on that if anything develops, and it's crickets right now. So I, I don't know if anything will develop for this week. But um, if if I'm wrong, we will be back to cover it. And uh, everybody have a good rest of your week. Take care.